Welcome to Gina Geeks Gems. My guest today is Sam. Hi, Sam. Hello. Sam, before we start, I'd like to know, do you believe in coincidences or are you one of those people who believes that everything happens for a reason? I would say I lean more towards coincidence, but we'll see. I asked because I came across a few coincidences while researching your family. Oh. Or are they? Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with your grandmother, Winifred May Holson. She was born in 1913, the daughter of William Edward Polson and Grace Mary Diaper. Right. Now, that name Diaper stood out to me, not just because it's an unusual name. Sounds a bit odd being named after a nappy. <laughs> Funnily enough, by coincidence, the name Diaper was one I'd come across as part of a local area study. All right. So I found that quite coincidental. William and Grace were married in 1912 in the Bosmere Registration District in Suffolk. Now, that's coincidence number two, because not only do I live in Suffolk, but I actually live in the same registration district that they were married. Jeez. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah. I looked closer at the Diaper family, and I found that Grace was born in 1885 in Bramford, Suffolk. Now, I don't live in Bramford, but the day I spoke about you coming on the podcast and before I did any research on your family at all, I don't think you'd even given me any names at this point, I happened to go for a walk that was very near your great-grandmother's birthplace and childhood home. Far out. Okay, so coincidences are stacking up here. They are. It's a bit spooky, isn't it? Let's see if we, if we were meant to do this podcast. Yeah. I want to focus on Grace's family. Her parents were William Diaper and Mary Ann Risby. They were both born in Lavenham, which is a beautiful village in rural Suffolk. Mm. It's known as one of England's best preserved medieval villages. But the funny thing about that is it's best preserved not because lots of money has been ploughed in to help it and keep it going and looking fabulous, but actually quite the opposite. By the 16th century, Lavenham was a rich town, dealing largely in the woolen cloth trade. But unfortunately, the bottom dropped out when they found it could be made cheaper elsewhere. So basically, where wealthy owners would usually renovate their properties and put money into modernising and having great modern conveniences, these wealthy owners left. Huh. And so there was no one around who could afford to make any of these changes to improve so-called improve houses. So now they look largely as they did a few hundred years ago. Okay. So no one can be bothered, so it just looks as it does. Yeah, well, no one could afford to be bothered. No one could afford to. So they would, they're quite large houses, and so they would have quite a few families living inside them, so they would kind of divide the properties into other houses and, and that. But from the outside, buildings look spectacular. It was actually used as a filming location, Harry Potter. Oh, cool. Yes, big fan. Ah, so then you've probably seen a Lavenham house. I think very briefly, but you've seen a Lavenham house when you watch <laughs> Harry Potter. Right, so the surname Diaper, we said before it was an interesting name, an unusual mm. name. It's said to derive from the Huguenots who came to escape persecution between 16th and 18th centuries persecution from their religion or for their religion. 
I was going to ask, it was probably the Catholics, wasn't it? Yes, I, I believe they, you know what, I'm shaky on this. I believe they were basically Protestanty, and right. obviously England was Protestant at that point because of good old Henry VIII. So I think they came to stop being persecuted by the Catholics. A bit shaky on that, but... That, well, I shouldn't be so shaky because it's quite a big thing around all the places I've lived in. There's been a big Huguenot thing with weaving and lace making and whatnot. De mm-hmm. Ypres, or from Ypres, Ypres is in present day Belgium, sometimes pronounced Ypres. It's a town from which many Flemish weavers originated. So De Ypres from Ypres, Diapa is how the surname evolved. Yeah, you can see how it goes from one to the other over mm. time. And why would they come to Lebanon, do you think? Well, from what you said before, that's where the weaving industries were, like the textile stuff. Yeah, so they were well needed there. They could they could make their fortunes, if not a livelihood. Now, in 1875, agricultural labourer William Diaper married straw platter Mary Ann Risby. These are your great-great-grandparents. Being an agricultural labourer was extremely common. Hmm. In Victorian times, about half of England's population relied upon agriculture for their livelihood. Damn. Now, as if being an agricultural labourer wasn't hard enough, around the time William and Mary Ann married, there was a great depression of British agriculture. Doesn't sound positive. No, this is mainly due to bad weather, but also due to cheaper imports from America. I did a little bit of research into how much they were earning uh, and how much, obviously, then they would need to live. And the average weekly expenditure for a farm labourer, his wife and three children Hmm. around 1875 was about 11 shillings, nine pence. Okay, that doesn't sound like a lot. Maybe not to us, but in 1875, an agricultural labour only earned about 14 shillings per week. So that doesn't leave a lot left over for fun or savings. No, not at all. The average agricultural labourer wages, which, which were already not great, declined over the years. So 1875, it was 14 shillings per week. By 1881, it was down to 13 shillings, seven pence. And... Ten years later, you'd think maybe it'd gone up by now. It did, but only by two pence. So in 1891, it was 13 shillings, nine pence. So it's still under what they were getting paid in 1875. Wow. That American import stuff really crippled them. Mm, It did. And I would imagine as well that that 11 shillings, nine pence probably increased as well. So that their wages were falling, but prices were rising. A lot like what's happening now. Yeah, true. So life was tough. Women and children would supplement the family income, or try to, by doing work like straw plaiting. Okay. Straw plaiting? Do you know about straw plaiting? Uh, no, I can kind of guess that it's to do with plaiting straw. <laughs> Good guess. Things. Yeah. <laughs> Clever boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you think of um, the way the way I think of it is like straw hats. They've got some kind of interesting patterns. It's not just a... Oh, yeah crisscross weave so you, those kind of fancy patterns but i think it was also used in furniture as well oh yeah like wicker chairs and that sort of thing yeah yeah so it was 
an occupation that could be done in the home. So that works for women who would largely be looking after young children in the home. Mm. It sounds very quaint, but it was actually quite hard work and done for a pittance. Mm. In the Pearson's Weekly in 1894, there was an article talking about straw plaiting. Mm. And it says, the truth of the matter is that in these days of agricultural depression, the women and children will gladly wear out their lives to earn some two or three shillings a week to eke out their husband's or their father's slender income, perhaps to pay the cottage rent. It is better to plat than to do nothing, to earn a few shillings than to starve, to bend to the sweater's yoke than to plead for admission at the workhouse gates. So basically, it's better to earn a few shillings than have to go into the workhouse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That the trade is disagreeable, no one can gain sway. The continual passing of the straw through the mouth scratches the lips and leaves a nasty taste in the palate. Moreover, the action of the sulphur fumes with which the straws are cleansed and the friction of the sharp-edged straw on the enamel of the teeth hasten decay. Few straw platters have sound front teeth, except, of course, the little children. And in the case of adults, they are usually worn right away. So your third great-grandma may have been a toothless old crone. (laughs) (laughs) She earned that toothless disposition, though. Yeah, she did it for the good of her family. (laughs) It's like character lines, isn't it? These are character... Because I've got character teeth, which hasn't got any. (laughs) (laughs) Battle wounds. Right, so zooming back in on your great-great-grandparents, William Diaper and Marianne Risby, they moved from Lavenham to Bramford, probably soon after their wedding in 1875. I know this, or I believe this, because their first child was born there in 1876. So Ah, the very year after they got married. Bramford, which is another village in rural Suffolk, had always been an agricultural community, but in the 1850s, Edward Packard moved his artificial fertiliser business from Ipswich to Bramford. Mm. I had a lot of fun looking up artificial (laughs) fertiliser. Yeah, that would have taken me down a rabbit hole. It was quite fascinating, particularly with these uh, Bramford factories. By the time the Diaper family moved to Bramford, there were three competing artificial fertiliser factories, all next to each other, just north of the village. So it's, you know, this... Perfect, serene, idyllic countryside with three stinking great artificial fertiliser factories. (laughs) Yeah, making (laughs) fake pig shit on the hills. (laughs) All clustered together. Obviously, it had a significant impact on local employment. So, Sam, why do you think they moved to Bramford? Get some money and some Mm. cash. It sounds like he could possibly get a job working at one of these factories yeah. Maybe more of a reliable income than agricultural yeah. labouring. Yeah, absolutely. Still within the whole agricultural field, but not reliant on the weather. Yeah, true. As much as I know, anyway. I didn't go into that far into artificial fertiliser. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't really know why they moved to Bramford. That could have still been the reason, but... He was recorded in the 1881 census still as an agricultural labourer. I can right. show you down here. Mm. What do we? What can you see? Uh, somebody diaper. 
That's William. It's got WM, so shortened for you know, William. Oh, okay, William Diaper. Head, ag, ag lab, aggressive Labrador. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, that or an agricultural labourer. Ah, oh, yeah, that's probably more logical. <laughs> and there's Marianne, his wife. Oh, yeah, just underneath. And can you see here there are three children? Yeah, Susanna. I can't make out the last two. Mary E. Okay. And Robert Alfred. I know this through other records. It, it is quite tricky to, to actually see this. Absolutely, yeah. Some sentences you've got lovely handwriting, others, absolute dog shit. <laughs> yeah, so you can see they have a few children by this stage. They had their first child, as I mentioned, Susanna. She was born in Bramford in 1876. And Marianne would go on to have 10 more children, which was a roughly about one every second year. Jeez. So your great-grandmother, Grace, was the sixth child in a total of 11 children. Wow. Busy household. Very busy household. All the children were enrolled at Bramford School, starting with the oldest, Susanna, in June 1880. And there's a picture of Bramford School there for you. Can you see that on the screen? I can, yeah. Great big iron fence. Lovely old buildings. Looks like something out of Matilda. It does a bit, doesn't it? Actually, that building is still there. It still looks almost exactly the same, except for the iron fence and more cars parked out the front. Oh, right. <laughs> and less children. The children look like they're lined up for assembly. We're about to go back into the school to me. They all kind of look very orderly. They do, yeah, organised, about to do something. I think this would have been about the time, there's no date on the photograph, but it would have been about the time that your diapers were there, the diaper children were there. So some of those children could be your relatives. Oh, yeah, this one at the back left looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> what is it What is it that strikes you? What's the family resemblance there? The pinafore? Uh, the bad haircut. fabulous so Susanna was enrolled in June 1880 and could this be another coincidence in 1880 there was an elementary education act that came in it was quite important because it made education compulsory for all children between the ages of five and ten right yeah Susanna was still only four years two months so okay so she wasn't compulsory herself no. Uh, and to be honest, I was a bit surprised that she was there. So I kind of did some looking into it. And it seems to be that particularly in rural schools, children were often taken in to schools before the compulsory age as a bit of a childcare arrangement. Often the mothers would also be working in the fields as well, if not already have lots of other little, even younger children at home. Parents still had to pay school fees up until 1891. So it's not like they were getting a free ride out of it. So they were more likely to take in the younger children. No, that's fair. Yeah. All the diaper children enrolled before their fifth birthday, I thought was, well, I thought was unusual. It might be very ordinary. They were probably looked after by the older siblings who were also going there. So poor old Susanna probably had most of her school time taken up with looking after all her younger brothers and sisters. (laughs) 
Yeah, the oldest always suffers. Well, not in my family. It's the middle child, the middle child. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing you're the middle child. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I suffer the most. There were factory acts that played a part in this Education Act. So they were brought in to limit the working hours and attempt to require some kind of safety for the workers. And the Education Act of 1880, it basically overrode the factory acts where young children were concerned. Because at the time, they were still finding ways to get these kids into work and into these factories and and not giving them any education. So it was kind of an attempt to end child labour. Nice. Which is, I think, a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, all the diaper children were enrolled at school before their fifth birthday. Your great-grandmother, Grace, was only three years and four months old. Wow. Keen as a bean to get in there. Yeah, that was in March 1889. But I don't think she stayed there long because she was readmitted in October 1890 when she was four years old. So what do you think happened Um, there? She either didn't like the school or (laughs) was having trouble being away from home at such a young age, maybe. Possibly. Could have been ill as well, maybe. Perhaps she wasn't able to attend. But we don't know. We can purely guess. Okay. Now, by 1891, Father William, Father of the Family, William Diaper, is now a labourer in one of the chemical works. Oh, I see. Yeah. Threw off the shackles of agricultural labouring. He managed to get a job in the chemical works. Whether that was the goal all along, or whether he saw that as a as a better position, he's now working. One he could have been working there from any point from 1880, like after the census was taken in 1881. To that, but we know that he was working there in 1891. Unfortunately, I found no mention in the newspapers of William and Mary Ann, but I did find an article involving their third child, it was their eldest son, Robert Alfred. Oh, what do you get up to? So, in the Evening Star on the 4th of March in 1897, this article appeared. The Factory Acts. George Henry Field, Baker, St. Helens Street. That's in Ipswich, which was the closest town to Bramford. Oh, okay. George Henry Field, Baker, St. Helens Street, was summoned for employing Alfred Diaper, a young person under 18, after six o'clock at night. So he wasn't allowed to be there after six o'clock at night. Oh, right. So do you remember those Factory Acts we talked about? Yeah, to limit the hours and safety. Yes. Mm. There was a specific rule that women and young persons to work in factories only between the hours of 6am and 6pm or 7am and 7pm. Right. Was brought in with the 1850 Factory Act. And here he is. He's still considered a child. It's a young person under 18 Mm. who's still working in a bakery after six o'clock at night, which was foreboden. Yes. Making illegal bread. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wonder what that would taste like. Decadent, yeah, all right. <laughs> Mr. C.C.W. Hoare, who conducted the case, <laughs> another unusual name, uh, said the assistant inspector, Mr. T.C. Haywood, found the boy at work in the bakehouse at 10 o'clock. So it wasn't, it wasn't just a few minutes after 6 o'clock, at 10 o'clock at night. Jeez. He was at the bakery. He was preparing wood for the bakehouse fire the following morning. He's a hard worker. 
Diaper admitted seeing the inspector and now stated that he had just gone into the bakehouse to have his supper. He added that he ought to have done the work earlier in the day. Hmm. So he's kind of saying, oh, it's my fault. I should have you know, done the job earlier. All ah, right. Yeah, he's saving the boss's ass there. I think there's a lot of that. I, it's still 10 o'clock's a long, a long time to be in, to be there, especially when he lived at Bramford. Yeah, yeah. I was able to work out with the employer's name that Robert's Bakery, well, the bakery Robert worked at, was not in Bromford. Oh, right. It was the Crescent Bakery. It was at 31 St. Helens Street in Ipswich. And that was at least an hour's walk from Bromford. Bloody hell. So it's it's possible that Robert, or Robert, it would look like he was going by the name Alfred, Robert Alfred, Alfred walked home, um, or walked to and from work every day. They did do things like that. But after 10 p.m. seems a little bit late. So either he had some kind of lodgings at the bakehouse, bakery or nearby or in Ipswich, or there was some dodgy practices going on having this young boy working 10 o'clock. And I imagine having to walk back to Bramford, walk an hour, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, and then you've got to be back in at, what, 6 o'clock in the morning or something? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, especially at a bakery. They work very early hours, don't they? Yeah, you'd have bugger all sleep. Hmm. So the magistrates dismissed the case. The defendant admitted a second charge of having failed to affix an abstract of the Factory and Workshop Act in his bakehouse. So that sounds to me like they're supposed to have a copy of the Factory Act on the walls. A bit like how you've got, you, know, you see in workplaces all around the health and safety. Oh, yeah, yeah. Make everybody aware. Yeah. The inspector Mm. pointed out that it was important those abstracts should be placed in the bakehouse as it enabled any boy employed there to know what hours he was compelled to work. Assistant Inspector Thomas C. Haywood, who gave evidence, said he had previously cautioned defendant for illegally employing lads. The magistrates imposed a fine of 10 shillings and 9 shillings costs. Oh, wow. I don't know. What do you think? What was going on there? Uh... Well, I think he was probably trying to make a little extra money, got caught out for it, and to keep his job, put his hand up and said, it's my fault, leave the boss man alone. That's what I think. I wonder if you even did earn extra money, if he was on a set wage. I wonder if it was an hourly income. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I yeah, don't know. You, you, might be, you might be right. It, it's The fact that he's been pulled up on this before and that he doesn't have... The act posted on the wall means I'm not sure he was the the most benevolent of employers. No, probably not. You hear things about bakers, though. Oh, what things do you hear about bakers? Oh, nothing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of horrible things being put in the in the bread. All right. I found an advert for the bakery from the year before this happened that amused me. So it was in the East Anglian Daily Times, 10th of March, 1896. There was this advert. Crescent Bakery, St. Helens, Ipswich, opposite the county jail. All who suffer from indigestion, ill health and the healthy should eat our original Scotch wholemeal bread. And here we have an unsolicited testimonial. No one was supposed yeah, to say I'm this. Sure. Unsolicited testimonial. Sir. 
Will you kindly send us some of your wholemeal bread every day, as the doctor recommends my son to eat no other? <laughs> Note, the above, the only address in the town where this bread can be obtained. The increasing sale of this bread is the best test of its superiority over all others. We guarantee our white bread to be strictly homemade and highly nutritious. Deliveries daily to all parts of the town. G.H. Field, proprietor. Bloody G.H. Field is full of shit. <laughs> the, t- the doctor says his son is only to eat Crescent Bakery wholemeal bread. What's an Sounds unsolicited like testimonial shit. from the public, Sam? <laughs> yeah, as honest as they come. <laughs> Love it. So fast forward to 1911, and here is the 1911 census. Oh, yeah. We've got less children there. Yeah, they've lost one. <laughs> well, we've lost a few, actually. If you remember, they had 11 children, and they're down to three children on here. Frederick oh. Charles, Lily Maud, and Walter. They're all in their teens. Um, mm. So the other ones have obviously moved on, married, found employment elsewhere. Ah, oh, right. Mm. Okay. Not some great tragedy. No, no, no. They, funnily enough, they all survived uh, into adulthood. Oh, good. Which is very unusual, especially for you know a poor, hardworking agricultural family where life was tough. I couldn't find any record of infant deaths, or I think the the earliest death they were in their uh, late teens, if not the twenties. So it's quite. I think that's quite unusual. Your family. So bravo. Good stock. Yeah. Good genetic stuff. Right, so William Diaper is up there at the top, working as a chemical labourer, working for a chemical manufacturer. If you notice down the bottom, Walter Diaper. 14. 14 years old, and he's working as a junior clerk, also mm. at the chemical works. Nice. That's pretty good for a 14-year-old. Yes. Well, his father was also working there, so I do wonder if there was possibly his father playing a role in getting him the job. Remember I said there were a few chemical works, though? Yes, like fertiliser plants and such. Yes. Well, there's actually a clue to which one of these they worked at, or at least which one Walter worked at. In Bramford Church, there is a memorial and roll of service on display. And this was to commemorate all the employees of Edward Packard and Company who served in World War I. So obviously if Walter's working there, it's quite likely that his father worked in the same chemical works. Mm. When I was at Bramford, I visited the church and thought, I'll have a little look-see, see if I can find any diaper graves. And I found William Diaper and Mary Ann, his wife. Oh, that's definitely them then. Yeah, so William died in 1918. So just as the war was ending, I suppose, July 1918. And Marianne died in 1920. Not long after then. They were both around the same age, weren't they? Yeah. 63 and 65. That's right. And also William, the third son, who passed over 50 today for 1913, age 25. Before we finish, I want to go back to your great-grandfather. Your great-grandmother, Grace Diaper, married William Edward Polson. Uh, Okay, that's a name I know. Yeah, he was born in London, and his parents were Edmund Paulson and Louisa Sewell. And they were both born in London and Surrey, so around the same parts. But 
Edmund's parents were Thomas Paulson and Mary Ann Risby, both born in Lavenham. Oh. Does that Risby's, sound familiar? Uh, familiar, yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Mary Ann Risby. Grace's mother was named Mary Ann Risby, wasn't she? Yeah. Hang on, that's odd. And on the Paulson side, we go back to Lavenham again and have Mary Ann Risby. What are you thinking about this? Sounds a bit sus to me. <laughs> well, they are not the same woman. Right, okay. Grace's mother was born in 1855 and William's grandmother was born in 1832. So they're different generations. Ah, yes, okay. Ah, what a coincidence. Ah, yes, coincidence. But are they related? Don't know. You did say there were a stack load of diapers about, so how many recipes did they have? <laughs> well, yes, they are related. Marianne, born in 1832, was the aunt of the Marianne Risby, born in 1855. So Grace and William's grandmothers were sisters. Oh. If you look on this diagram, I can make I'll make this diagram available on the website for other people to see. So you've got Grace yeah. here, mm. her mother Marianne, married to William Diaper, her mother, Sarah Ann Risby, and then Grace's husband, William Edward Polson, son of Edmund Polson, son of mm. Thomas Polson, married Mary Ann Risby, born eighteen thirty two. And Mary Ann and Sarah Ann were both the daughters of Thomas Risby and Mary Carter. Wow. So William Edward Polson and Grace Mary Diaper, husband and wife, had the same great-grandparents, Thomas Risby and Mary Carter. Oh, jeez. Don't, don't worry, by the way. <laughs> don't want you to, it doesn't mean that you've got inbreeding or anything like that. It was very I was just starting to count my toes again because I swear I've got ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 not so close of a relationship for you to worry about. <laughs> but did they know this? Did they know they were related? Or is it just another coincidence? Hmm. You'd think that maybe they would have found out at some point. You'd think. If you look at the diagram, do you notice anything else? Well, Sarah Ann's married to James Paulson. Yes. So the sisters both married a Paulson. Ah. So Mary Ann Risby married Thomas Paulson, and Sarah Ann Risby married James Paulson. You'd think, I was, oh, maybe they're brothers. It's, it's not uncommon for brothers and sisters to marry each other, I mean, respective brothers and sisters to marry each other, but they did both have different fathers. So Thomas Paulson and James Paulson were not brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I say that. However, I strongly suspect that Thomas Paulson and James Paulson, so well, their fathers had the same names. So I strongly suspect that their fathers were brothers. I can't prove it at this time because the records are a bit they're there, but they are not definitive enough. I suspect they have the same father, but there were two people of the same name. <laughs> well, there were two people who could have been their fathers. Do you know what I mean? So there were because <laughs> there were Paulsons and you know, they're all kind of congregating around the same area. 
and they're all naming their children the same names, it's kind of hard to prove in some instances who's the kid of who. Does that make sense? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so as I was saying, do you think they knew about this? You think they figured it out at some point? They, they would have had to have heard something. I guess it depends on how tight the family was, how much they spoke about their family history, but you'd think so. I think it's very likely that they knew of the family relationship mm. for sisters to marry, you know. I just think it's yeah. very likely. <laughs> like you said, they, they probably talk in those days even more. I think it's just, it, it's possible being, you know, but born in London eventually, there's distance away, but I think they all kind of knew each other. It's, you know, oh, Grace, my daughter Grace is in town. Your sonny Jim William lives there. Or, you know, that kind of people talk. Yeah, of course. Like Grace would have known that her Auntie Mary is, or a great auntie Mary married someone called Tom Paulson, you'd think. You'd think. Or at least her, her mother would know. That's your family, Sam, or part of your family. Ah, thanks. It was yeah, absolutely fascinating, Ali. You've gone to so much effort to dig through this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Once I start, I can't stop. <laughs> We've mentioned coincidences a lot in this episode. Sometimes coincidences are just that. Two separate events or facts that bear no relationship to the other, happening or existing at the same time. But sometimes there's more to it. Where genealogy and family history are concerned, it's always a good idea to explore every seemingly coincidental fact. And you may just find they're not so unconnected after all. Thank you very much for coming, Sam. You've been a wonderful guest. Thanks for having me and teaching me a little about my family history. No problem. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like more information about the episode or have any questions, please go to GinaGeek.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under the username GinaGeek. Bye.